Yes, good evening and welcome to another episode of Keeping It Real with Chuck Ludy and the Big Fella. And, uh, well, this is episode six and uh, we have had some amazing guests so far on this podcast. Paddy Dangerfield, Nathan Lyon, Mark Leishman, Chatty Sayers and Timmy Bluey McGrath. Tonight's guest is just going to take it up another notch. I I just don't think we can keep going up notch after notch, but uh, we are going to do so tonight, and I'm going to go to the phones now and say very good evening to this man. Oh, yes, as he just struts out in those little PJs of his in Mount Eliza. Darren Chuck Berry, how are you, big fella? You are an idiot, and we've we got Glenn Maxwell on tonight, have we? If we're following out the show. <laughs> hey, uh, better uh, than Maxi. You did a very, very good job today, and I know not all our listeners will know about the Warnable races, although I reckon there was a lot of people tuning in today around the country and internationally, and uh, MattyStewart.com, I mean Racing.com. <laughs> hey, congratulations. We'll talk about that later in the show, the Warnable races today. Uh, the good and the bad, but well done, big fella. You did a good job. No, it was good to be. I was lucky to be there. To be honest, uh, it was a different feel, and uh, you know, no crowd on course and that. And as you said, we'll talk about and touch on it a little bit later on. But uh, we better get this man on the phone because uh, he's sitting down in the sleepy hollow of Geelong tonight, all rugged up, and uh, he's been on the punt all afternoon. And I say a very good evening to you. <laughs> Hates this. Timmy Luderman, how are you, buddy? Oh, I'm going well. That's a stinker, mate. Time for an, time for an update. <laughs> You're not going to get an update, mate, because I'm pushing the buttons back here in the studio, <laughs> and uh, it is not going to get much bigger and better than this, too. This is exciting. Uh, I said at the top of the show, can we keep growing? Well, we've kind of put the acid on each other over this last five or six weeks to get guests uh, on and uh, outdo ourselves. And, uh, boys, this has just gone up another notch tonight. Yeah, I must admit, Tim Luderman's organised this one, so full credit to him. And uh, I won't say any more, but I reckon Ludie said last week, the most important person in our country at the moment is clearly the Prime Minister as we're going through this time, Scott Morrison and and each of the state leaders as well. But uh, I reckon Tim Luderman has... I reckon he's got our biggest guest so far, and I'll let you introduce him, big fella. Yeah, it's uh, pretty exciting, that is for sure, and you've hit the nail on the head. This bloke come in uh, to the Australian cricket team in a time of need, and he stood up like you would not believe, and he has resurrected this Australian cricket team, and we speak of the one, the only... And this mightn't give it away. This is Jump Around by House of Pain for those that might not realise. And I'm talking about Timmy Payne, the Australian cricket captain. How are you, Timmy? Good, thanks, Jens. How are you going? Mate, this is unbelievable. And, Ludie, we have to uh, we have to thank you for this, mate. You have plucked an absolute rabbit out of the hat. I shouldn't say that. I don't mean that in a bad way, Payne, but this is massive, Ludie. Oh, well, it's, it's just the keeper's union, I think. You know, exactly. As soon as the shield game's done, you go into the corner, you have a beer with the opposition keeper, and me and Payne have shared a couple of beers over time. So when I threw out the line, he was happy to grab it, which is good. 
Absolutely. I think I think when a fellow Globman sings out, you're happy to take the call, aren't you? So. Now, Tim, when you said that a fellow Globman, there's two fellow Globman here. You haven't really mentioned the great Darren Chuck Berry, who reckons he was oh. stiff and uh, you know should have played more games for Australia and all that kind of oh, stuff. No. He was oh, no. he was unlucky, wasn't he, Pony? He was. I've heard it all from him before, though. To be honest, Pony, <laughs> listen, don't buy into this idiot <laughs> stuff. When he said I should have played more games for Australia. How about just one might have been okay, actually? <laughs> more, more than none would have been good. <laughs> you got Matthew Stewart in there, didn't you? Uh, I snuck in there. Gilly got injured, yeah, 97. That was as close as I got, Painey. And, uh, well, I mean, I'm wrapped to have you on. And thanks so much, mate, for taking some time out. No, yeah, no. so, no, I didn't get there. But 97 Ashes was as close. I spent five weeks. All I did was try and try and break Ian Healy's hand for five <laughs> weeks. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't work. You should have taken him out for a few beers. That's what you should have done. Hey, can I just ask you, you just said it then, Chuck, you know, and, and, and you're all wicket keepers, okay? The three is, I feel kind of uh, inferior. I used to shit myself, to be honest, sitting at first slip. I don't know how you blokes <laughs> uh, done it every week. But, uh, you know, like, what about injuries and in that, you know, in regards to the fingers and, you know, your inners and, and, you know, what goes into preparing the hands for the gloves? Well, it's a nice leading, Stuart. Tim Payne probably should answer that because it probably, well, it almost cost him his career. It probably did cost him his career. And then, you know, what a renaissance recently. And I know it's been done to death, Payne, but just quickly give us a brief version for our listeners about that severe damage to your finger. Yeah, well, mine was from batting. So from keeping, I've actually so far touched wood. I've been um, pretty good. My, my main injuries come from, from batting and it was in an exhibition game. got hit from Dirk Nanners. Uh, yep. The Thunderbolt, and, um, yeah, I had sort of seven operations, missed two years. Um, yeah, so it wasn't an idea. I certainly learnt my lesson. You don't hit Dirk Nanners over point first ball of a T20 game and get away with it. I just want to be a little bit serious for a second because um, this is what we're all about. I normally do the serious stuff, but you've had a few different hairstyles over the years. Uh, <laughs> you know, run the tips. You've ran a few different products. You've you've flicked to the side. You've done it all. Yeah, I've heard you've gone a little bit self-proclaimed slim shady at the moment. Any truth? To well, that, I have. I have. Um, not sure why, Lude, and I'm not going to lie to you. I instantly regretted it. It was one of those things <laughs> I thought on board. I don't know why. I just thought I'll wind back the clock a little bit here. Put a few tips through the hair. And then I did it, and I just thought, what am I doing? So, so can I just can I chime right. in? So this is like when you're saying Slim Shady, you, you Marshall Mathers, the shave with the blonde, the total blonde hair. Is that right? Total blonde. Wow. I'm running a beard as well at the moment. So, look, I, I think I'll get away with it because you know, I'm in isolation, and uh, any time I've left the house in the last 10 days, I've worn a beanie. So not many people have got I think my wife stitched me up last night with an Instagram story and a few of the Tigers boys got onto it. And um, I've been copping shit all day, basically. I like it, Ludie, the real Slim Shady. Uh, it is pretty lighthearted tonight, Pony. It won't be like many interviews you've done in the last two years. And I'll be serious for a minute. I just want to say uh, on behalf of us three, but on behalf of everyone in Australia, um, Mate, you've done an unbelievable job since you took over. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know you that well, but we've had quite a few chats over the years, and I remember yep. sitting with you in Hobart one day when, you, when your finger was stuffed and thinking you were never going to achieve these great heights. So just on behalf of everyone, mate, the job you've done, 
Australia Test Team ranked number one. I mean, I know that the T20s, you're not playing in those at the moment with Finchie leading it, but um, you must be enormously proud. And as I give you that rap, in all honesty, are you sitting home at the moment? I know you're a pretty level-headed customer. Do you pinch yourself and think, shit, I'm captain of the Australian cricket team? Yeah, I do, Chuck. I, I still have a laugh, um, you know, many times a week. Whether I'm talk- I get off the phone after I've spoken to, um, you know, the Premier. I've spoken to the Premier last week. I've spoken to the Prime Minister a few times over the um, last few months. And I just get off the phone and I just have to laugh. Some of the people I've, I've met and spoken to in the last sort of 12 months in particular has been... Extraordinary, and even you know, even at times I'm sort of driving through Hobart, and something comes on the radio, and people say, you know, Test Captain Tim Payne. I think, shit, I am. That's me, and it's it really is. It's a it's a bizarre feeling when you, you know, obviously I think we the three of us wanted to play cricket for Australia. I'm not sure about the big fella there, but um, that, that's always the dream. And then to achieve that and, and become the Test Captain is, is something I never ever thought about. So now, yeah, I, I do. I have a bit of a Laugh about it, don't take it too seriously, although at times you have to, but um, look, a lot hasn't changed for me here in Hobart, Chuck. Hobart's that sort of place you stay pretty grounded and yep. um, still getting around the same areas and, and talking to the same people. So, um, oh, yeah, just one, more, one more from me, one more from me, and then I'll hand it over and I'll get out and then let the other two have a go. But uh, you mentioned Hobart, Tasmania, and thinking about when I knew you were coming on tonight, and you might not have been, I was trying to think, what hasn't he been asked before? There's been some outstanding leaders come out of Tasmania. and Ricky Ponting was one of the greats. George Bailey is someone I really admired for his leadership. Jamie Cox, I know, was an influence on you. He didn't play for Australia. He's a good mate of mine, but I think he was a yep, very good yep. leader. David, yep. what, what, why do we get good leaders come out of such a small place down there in, in Tassie? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'm not totally sure. I think it's a mixture of things. I think particularly in our cricket system, you always tend to be up against it um, a little bit when you're playing yep. against the biggest states. Um, probably the weather. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think it's a number of things. I think it's the weather. I think it's, um, you know, we're a smaller state. We're underdogs. We've got probably not the best facilities. There's lots of little things, and you either sink or you swim, and you become... Um, you know, you have to grow up. I find here your younger players have to grow up a bit quicker. Um, I like it. I like it. And I think that, that's played a huge part. And, and most of the time when guys have come through Tasmania and made it to the Australian team, they've been a leader in, in some way. And you've just mentioned uh, a, number, a number of them there. But, yeah, there seems to be something in the water or, or something in our program, the way we're brought up. It, um, it seems to be a natural, natural fit um, with the number of us. I've only hey, I've ever been to, there uh, on footy trips. I want to say, Painey, and I've only been to the casino, to the uh, Elwick races, uh, maybe to a footy game and uh, any venues in between. That's been my kind of uh, view of Tasmania on probably three or four footy trips. All I know is it's bloody freezing cold. It is, but it is very popular for footy trips. So Great admit, spot. You see a number of groups come down and... Um, to be fair, you, you have to do a fair bit to get into trouble in Hobart, so it's not a bad, <laughs> not a bad place to live. Ludi. Payne, just to paint a picture of the big fella for you, he's the he's a 43-year-old guy you see at Big Bash Games with the KFC bucket head on his head, <laughs> the eyes cut out while eating a bucket of KFC. Skin, but, only uh, skin only, mate. <laughs> correct. 
it's, it's interesting you touched on footy there, Penny, and I, I just want to take you back a few years, if I could, um, to your AIS days in the academy. Yeah. Um, produced some many great cricketers over the journey. Um, <laughs> I was doing a bit of research throughout the week, and I just heard that one day, living on residence at the Griffiths University there in, in Brisbane, Venture down to the local uni over watching a game, having a kick a few of the boys. Pretty talented cricketers, obviously, but equally talented footballers. Yeah. And you get a nod, a nod from the coach to uh, to pull the Guernsey on, and you slot straight into the ones. True yeah, we that. slotted straight in. We. Um, <laughs> and then an I just story. sorry, sorry to cut you off. I want to finish it right. because I've got some even better info yep. than that. Yep. In the fact that you put your hand up and said, I need to start in the gut. I'm the main man. <laughs> and at the, first, at the first bounce, the pack has come around Tim Payne and he hasn't got up. Ten seconds in, he's got a broken nose and two black eyes off for the rest of the game. Some of that's true, some of it's not. George Bailey was the one who demanded to start in the centre square. <laughs> <laughs> I demanded the Ford 50 and everyone else out. <laughs> uh, I lasted a quarter and 10 seconds. <laughs> I kicked one goal three and then met the back of Dougie Bollinger's bald head. Uh, <laughs> splattered my nose. Was that before or after hair with Dougie Bollinger? <laughs> that, was, that was just before the original... Yeah, yeah, came on. <laughs> um, should have seen it coming, but didn't. But yeah, I, the best part of it was because we're obviously all cricketers. Well, there's two parts of it. The bloke came over and said, "Oh, like the last thing you do is ask a group of six or seven, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one year old cricketers, do you you'd like any you'd like any good at footy?" Well, what do you reckon? I don't the want, answer was? Yeah, that's right. I, I didn't want to put my hand up there, Payne. I was happy just to sit back and just uh, sit in the stands, mate. But um... well, we told him that we had six blokes, probably top ten draft picks, had we? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the second thing, my, my final words from the coach. So that was the first time I met him. He said, "Any of you blokes play footy?" I said, "Well, do I what? Give me the four fifty, and I'll turn you into an AFL coach." <laughs> And then my last conversation with him was uh, about 20 seconds into the second quarter when I came off and my nose was under my right eye. <laughs> he, said to me, he said, are you going to go back on? And I said, what do you reckon? And he said, mate, if you're going to play footy, you're going to cop the odd hard knock. <laughs> you put the hand up and said, where's the cricket pitch? <laughs> I, was, I was 18 years old. This stage didn't have the licence. I jumped in one of those old academy vans, Luke, the big white Tarago. <laughs> yeah. Drove myself home thinking my whole career, career was over. But uh, <laughs> testament, actually, to the squad we had up there, the loyalty, it, it never got out until about five years ago. Hey, oh, uh, really? Brilliant. Fella, you, here you go. Timmy, uh, I just wanted to ask, uh, you know, the test, the, the documentary series that come out. Now, Timmy Ludeman, he was scathing on this a couple of weeks ago, wasn't he, Chuck? You can back me up <laughs> here. Cool. He was, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he was scathing on it. Me and Chuck loved it. We just thought it was magnificent. Uh, and we're not just saying that because we've got you on, but uh, you must be, yeah, to sit back, I suppose, and, and to take all that in from, from all that filming and that that was going on. You knew the cameras obviously were there and stuff, but the finished yeah. product, it was brilliant, wasn't it? It. Yeah, it was. I've, I think most of the players were, were pretty happy with it. The feedback, barring Luge, has been excellent. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's okay. That's, what we, that's one of the reasons we did it. We obviously 
uh, were coming from a fair way back from Cape Town a few years ago. So it was important for us to sort of open up the change rooms and the inner sanctum and give people a look at um, not just the way the Australian test team operates, but, but give them a chance to actually get to know some of the um, some of the players and some of the characters we've got in our team. And um, we knew if we, we did that they'd hopefully start to like us again. And, um, yeah, we're really glad that it, it went down well. Chuck? Hey, while, we, while, we're on, while we're on the test, and I wasn't going to talk about it, but... Um we had Nathan Lyon on a few weeks ago, obviously, and, and yep. that tumultuous test match that's been spoken about, and we probably don't need to back over it, but what I do want to back over is the meeting that Justin Langer called the next morning. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Ludy was pretty scathing of all this stuff, but for mine, it, that wasn't manufactured. I detected that that was a very uncomfortable moment in your life. We don't have yeah. to talk about, you know, when you went upstairs, when it was pitching sort of in Launceston when we were playing in Hobart. We don't need yeah. to talk about that one, uh, but that uncomfortable moment the next day between you and JL, it doesn't matter how many cameras are there, that was genuine. Yeah, it was. Um, and, and none of us knew that was coming either. We just thought we were getting up and going for a walk and a coffee. So um, mm-hmm. a few of the boys were a bit upset about it. I thought I laughed when I saw the footage of that because obviously when you're there, you don't see everything. But when I saw the footage of how dirty Lino was about the whole... The whole <laughs> oh, he was savage. Fantastic, but... Um, oh, yeah, after a few minutes, it, it got going, and it ended up being, um, yeah, I think a lot of the players at the start were like, what the f- is this? Never had this before, yep. not going through this. And then five minutes into it, it, it started to get going, and um, some guys admitted some of the mistakes, and um, it's actually really changed the way we now um, review games. It's a, we do it actually a lot quicker, it's a lot more honest, and, and we get on with it. So yep. um, in the end, it it's actually was a really good thing. Ludi, Payne, just something that the test didn't actually pick up, and I didn't know it was going on myself, actually, but uh, I wanted to bring it to your attention. Yep. So there was actually a bigger battle at that time going on than the Ashes itself. The, the card game between Tim Payne and Josh Hazelwood, yep. it was massive, I hear, and I hear that Josh Hazelwood, the Hoff, bought a brand new car on the back of taking you to the cleaners because you are <laughs> hopeless at it. <laughs> Good work, Lou. I like it. added to it. I don't know if I bought him the whole car. I probably got him most things, with minus a few extras. But I think the boys picked up like the seat warmers and a few other things for him. So he one of. It's unbelievable. The boys just call him. We just call him the Hall of Famer. It's, I've never seen anyone better at cards. You can play any game. He can be any any position, and he wins it. It's just it's incredible. We don't want to get stuck with the big half. He did. He. He cleaned out the allowances, the big fella, and, and came home a very wealthy man. I reckon he would have bought another house down in that hometown of his. Well, what game are you uh, playing? You're playing poker, or what, what are you playing, mate? Um, no, most of the time it was 31. Um, yeah. And occasionally oh, we just made our own hybrid versions of it. I think we had 62 at one stage. That was if we had a long trip. Um, we liked that one because Marnus couldn't count either. Um, <laughs> that was excellent. Um yeah, and then just the odd odd game of, oh, God knows what. But there was a bit of you know going on at one stage. We didn't go to that. We had that's when we sort of decided we needed to change things up. And we ended up having a adult's table and a kid's table, so we let the kids keep playing. <laughs> <in. laughs> Travis Head would have been at the kid's table for sure. Who's that? Travis Head would have been at the kid's table for sure. No, Hedy was, was, uh, actually didn't move far from, um, which we think is why Josh was so good, because he was normally sitting next to Hedy. 
they had him just fed in the cards all day and didn't realise what was going on in, in typical head fashion. He was off in the dairy and Hoff was just absolutely feeding on it. Brilliant. Tony, as you can tell, we, we, we cut all the very serious topics here, so I've got one to finish from my end, and then uh, I'll leave it to the big fella. But, and I'm going to give you one opportunity to tell the truth. This is a little bit like that session after the test. Um, <laughs> most embarrassing sporting moments, and you, you asked if we were good at footy, I like to tell a story the other week how I played in the EJ Witten's game, and I got fed a handball from Nathan Burke and run into an open goal on national television, and didn't even register a score from 15 metres out. That was my most embarrassing moment. <laughs> I tried to I find that too. Uh, it would never be... I've erased all the tape. So I want to Very ask you, Tony, your most... The wicketkeeper doesn't have good goal sense. I know, I was shattered. <laughs> Absolutely shattered I was. It was my moment in the sun. But That's this is more what about you. That test match. That's exactly right. Now, my I did get called in. I'll, I'll lead you in here, and then I'll leave it to you for your honesty. When I was called up in 97, I was called up to Old Trafford. Now, that was the scene this year, obviously, uh, last year of a very exciting time. The Ashes were secured, uh, a lot of ups and downs, and I believed him. I, I've just been led to believe... That a very embarrassing moment that maybe not have come out on the test, <laughs> and whether yeah. you're prepared to share it with us now about what happened on that Australian well, yeah, nine, nine down. I'm happy to share it because again, it's just us wicketkeeping is what we we tend to do for our teams. So I'll set the scene a little bit first. I, I was feeling a little bit ill, um, and there was some big, big dark clouds rolling in over the grandstand, and we only had about seven overs left, and. Obviously, we needed that one wicket and no drinks breaks left. Umpires starting to talk to each other about light. Mm. And I just had a horrible feeling that I needed to go to the toilet. <laughs> uh, number ones or twos? Did you have to go two. for the ones or twos? Uh, it was number twos. Oh, right, right. Um, and so, yeah, I just basically thought, righto, can't, can't waste any time. I'm going to have to... And I remember sort of saying to Davey Warner, I'm actually going to have to do this. And <laughs> did. And unfortunately, it was one of those moments where the crowd went quite quiet. And it was because I was a bit unwell, it was quite runny. And you could actually hear it sort of hit the <laughs> ground. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, luckily uh, that ball was bowled, I think, by Mitch Starr to Big Overton. Luckily, he didn't catch it because myself and Davey Water were at, like, literally had tears in our eyes. We could not stop laughing. So, so you're telling <laughs> me the Australian awesome. captain, when we were about to secure the Ashes, we were about yep. to secure the Ashes, and no one knows this, as you were squatting down behind the stumps, the Ashes about to be secured... Tim Payne soiled himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, number, a number of the boys do know about it. I think probably all. Uh, certainly the Switzerland oh. were aware of it. Oh, that no worries, you're secret, safe. <laughs> you're secret safe with us because we've only got 13 yeah, listeners. Sure. We're only get 15 <laughs> next week. That is I'm unbelievable. Sure. What an amazing story. What can you do, though, like, you, when you're busting to go on the cricket field and it's do well, or exactly. die? Like, you can't do anything. Well, normally, obviously, you'd run off, but literally, I'm not kidding, there was rain clouds everywhere. It was six or seven overs left. We were down on overs. It was. I just thought, this is they're going to call the game off here and we're going to get stitched off, so I couldn't be I couldn't be running off the ground. Imagine if, I reckon Jay would have knocked me out. 
That is unbelievable. <laughs> Amazing. That's even better. That's better, big fella, than I thought, because my spy today told me that he actually pissed himself, but pain has gone one step further and said he actually <laughs> shit himself. So I'm like, well, well, better now. Chuck, if I, if I tell you the honest truth, the piss was about six hours before that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and you wear the old box when you're keeping, don't you? So that would have been thrown straight out, surely. You don't, you don't change them either. <laughs> <laughs> That's gold. Oh, that is brilliant, unbelievable. Hey, now listen, Payne. Quiz time, big fella. Yeah, what we do is uh, we have a little quiz, and uh, being the uh, well, you're the best out of these three wicket keepers, mate. We've got on here. Make no mistake about it. Uh, none of these have got to the levels that you have, but they've been fantastic in their own right. I should say that as well. Um, so you are going to take on Timmy Ludeman. You're playing for the all new Nissan Warrior. Thanks to Clinton Bolsh, Warnable Nissan. Have you heard of Bolshy Timmy Payne? Oh, I haven't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Paney, we've done seven episodes and we've given away six Nissan Warriors so far, so tonight we're going to be the seventh. And Paney, he's happy to send one wherever you need to for the Aussie skipper, mate, okay? Uh, it is a magnificent motor vehicle. He's got some sensational end of financial year deals out of Clinton, Bolsh, Wonderful Nissan. They're on Facebook, all the social media. And uh, he said, you just tell Paney whatever he needs, I'll send up. Don't worry about Chuck and Ludy. I'll send one straight up to the Aussie <laughs> skipper. Very good. Wow. So if Payne wins, we've got to get the Nissan Warrior on the spirit of Tasmania across Bass Strait and straight down to the man who shit himself in a test match. Might be a bit, hey, it might be a bit fancy, the old Warrior, for a Tasmania vehicle, though, Payne. I've got that feeling, mate. It looks That's pretty spick. Right. That's all right. That'll do me. Right, I Chuck. I'll go with my new hairdo, Bob Sam. <laughs> you have got the questions, mate. You're taking on Timmy Ludeman, okay? Your buzzer is your name, Timmy. Can you just test it out for us? I can't work. Yeah, no, that can't work. Painy, Painy, your buzzer's your last name for you, okay? Thank you. You stick with Timmy Ludes. Right, big fella. Right, good luck. Right, Wicked-keeping quiz. They're very easy tonight because I knew we'd have a bit of banter. So the first question, which uh, it's all wicket-keeping related. Ooh. Which wicket-keeper has taken the most test dismissals in history? Ludy. Oh, yes, Timmy Ludeman. Tim Ludeman. Mark Boucher. That's one to Ludy. Oh, sorry, that's a correct team. Yeah, well done. Who, who is Mark Boucher? <laughs> who would he play for? Who would he play for? South Africa. 500, 555 dismissals for South Africa. He's now their coach. Uh, he got hit in the eye, a sad incident a few years ago, mm. and he's got a real problem there. Big fellow, I'm disappointed you didn't know Mark Boucher. Mate, I'm, uh, I was thinking Jeffrey Dujon, the old West Indian superstar <laughs> back in the day. Right, I sorry, question two. 1 0 Ludy. Come on, Pony, you've got a lift. Sorry. How many Australian wicket keepers figure in the top 10 of test dismissals in the history of the game? How many Australians? Mm. Have a guess on the number? Pony. Yes, Pony. Three. Oh, no. Unfortunately, four. But I'll let you redeem yourself, Pony, if you can give me the four names off the top. Very quickly, there's four names. Healy, Gilchrist, Marsh, Mm. 
Mm, well, I'm know. disappointed he, he hasn't. He hasn't. I think he's followed through again because the last <laughs> one was actually the last one's been the recent fielding coach for Australia. Lucky you're not training. <laughs> right, so that is one nil to Ludy. I can't Ooh. give you one there. Sorry, Pony. No. You reckon I'm offended if Brad Haddon's tuning in? He'll be very disappointed with that, I tell you. This third question, uh, I think all of us will know the answer, and we all admire this wicket keeper. He is the man that has taken the most dismissals in one day international cricket. One day international cricket. Painy. Think subcontinent, Painy. Yes, Painy. Sangakara. Correct. <laughs> oh, yes, Painy. One apiece. One apiece and uh, fantastic to see you on the board, mate, because I had a feeling the lady was going to knock you off and the Nissan Navarra was going to head down the highway to Geelong. But uh, you are still in there, big fella. Let's go, Chuck. Next question. Right. Question four. Which international wicketkeeper scored the first ever century in the IPL? Painty. Oh, Painty for Ooh. me. Painty. Over there, mate. <laughs> this is bullshit. Brendan McCullum. <laughs> <laughs> that was tight too, real tight. You stiff there, Ludy. Uh, but uh, just uh, we had to have a look at the footage, and uh, yeah, you got nutted right on the line. Two one, Tim Payne over Tim Ludeman. Right, the final decider. Unless Ludy gets this, and I'll have to make one up. But uh, this is a multiple choice question. But you need to know the right name. You need to know the correct answer. Which Australian wicketkeeper? has played more test matches out of these names. Tim Lederman, Darren Derry, <laughs> Tim Zura, Greg Dyer, Steve Rickson, Roger Woolley. Gee, we have No, I have to give that one to Timmy Lederman. I'll go Stumper Rickson. Well, I'm sad to say that is correct. You've just stuck in there. I like this because you've got to come up with another question here, Chuck. I do, I do. Now, let me tell you, Steve Rickson, 13 test matches. Tim Zura, 10 test matches. Greg Dyer, 6. Roger Woolley, 2. Tim Payne is currently on 31, and I reckon he's going to get close to a half century. Unfortunately, Ludeman and Berry are 0. Nothing for me. Dark eggs. So yeah. the score the score is two all, and I haven't got a deciding question. So look, we'll just make it very very simple, uh, and you can only answer this question if you're a Tasmanian. And the question <laughs> is, who would be the most unlucky wicketkeeper to ever play state cricket and never play a Test match? Oh God! <laughs> There's only one answer. Thank you. It's not Chris Hartley either. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) correct. I thought he was going to say Sean. I thought he was going to say Sean Klingleper or Mark Atkinson or something. To be honest. Hey, Timmy Payne, you've defeated the other wicketkeeper, Timmy Ludeman, big fella. That's better than any Ashes series, mate. You've got an innocent warrior coming your way, champion. Hey, listen, in all honesty, though, mate, we cannot thank you enough for jumping on the podcast. Uh, you're a busy man. As uh, You kind of name-dropped there earlier, mate. You've been talking to the Premier and the Prime Minister, and now you've been talking to Chuck Looney and the big fella. 
Hey, Timmy, good on you, mate. Can't wait to see that uh, picture of the hair. I might even, uh, if you can flick it through to Timmy Ludeman, we might even make that the cover photo of this yeah, week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey Tim, thank you very much, mate, and good luck uh, with the Australian cricket team. Hopefully, we're back out there playing in the next uh, few months, and uh, yeah, you've done a wonderful job, that is for sure. And uh, as uh, Chuck said at the top, mate, Australia should be uh, super proud of the efforts you've put in. Thanks, uh, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, what an absolute ripper, you blokes and Ludie. You have just uh, you've delivered in spades, mate. That was a uh, fantastic get. Yeah, well, after you got Mark Leishman, top 15 in the world, I thought I'd better, better dig deep to this one. And uh, as we see, he's a, he's a very likeable character. He's a good man, Painty, so appreciate him coming on and giving up his time. Nah, he's an absolute he's an absolute, ripper. He's an absolute... He's a beauty, but I, I honestly, boys, I don't know where we're going to go now. I mean, we have gone pretty hard early. Um, I'm not sure where we go now, to be perfectly honest. We might have to just come down the tree a little bit and then work it up again, but... Uh, Yep, uh, Dangerfield, Sayers, Lyon, Leishman, Tim McGrath, Tim Payne. There's, we've had a lot of Tims, so we might have to get uh, uh, off of the Tims. But, mate, very good. Well done. And how good was he? I mean, just no, pretty laid brilliant. back, isn't he? That story was uh, was amazing uh, as the ashes was bearing down. That is unbelievable. Great insight, you blokes. So got some great stories there. Um, Are you up next week, Stewie? Yeah, I know. I'm actually, when you were just talking about it then, I'm kind of starting to jot a few names down. The pressure's, <laughs> pressure's starting to build, to be honest. Uh, my uh, list of celebrity A-graders doesn't go as long as you two blokes, I don't think, but uh, we'll try our best. Uh, there's a couple more from Warner Ball. Hang on. Can you just get Warner Ball? Name dropping here, Ludy. Can you just get Warner Ball? See if we can get the great one on. I don't know whether we'll get him. He's not big on the podcast, but look... Maybe if we send him a Nissan Warrior, I reckon we might get him. <laughs> <laughs> I can see him driving around a Nissan Warrior warning too with the big black wheels. It's uh, yeah, sensational. Hey, uh, we want to talk about uh, dual sports people. Uh, this has been a uh, bit of a uh, topic over the last couple of weeks, hasn't it? Loads. Yeah, it has. Um, I think it's might have been one of those things that's popped up in you know, ISO times with a few of the old games coming up when it was probably more common to see people playing dual sports, I suppose, in particular AFL and cricket is probably what I'm alluding to, but obviously there's other dual dual sports people out there. So um, it is is a bloody good skill to have and good to have next to your name. I reckon that you've played two sports at an elite level. Yeah, I reckon, you know, the the one, the number one, that comes to my mind is Michael Jordan, you know, like going to baseball and playing major league baseball, uh, you know, and, and, and obviously being the, the greatest and the best NBA NBA basketball ever was just amazing. Was he any good at baseball, big fella? Was but, he any good at baseball? But or not? Chuck, you can't Did he get there because he you, was good at basketball. But you can't make a major league baseball team if you're a dunce. I know there's a bit of that star factor and all that kind of stuff, but like you, you know, that's like plucking you or me or Ludi out and saying, right, I go and start playing AFL now. Like it just, you still got to be elite, don't you? You know, like you've you've got to be very good. Uh, and and I'll, I'll go around the table because I've got another one that just come to mind. But who who do you think, Ludes? I'll, I'll throw an old name at you. I've gone with Peter Bedford. Oh, so yeah. played 178 games for South Melbourne, 325 goals, 1970 Brownlow medalist. Yep. And played about 40 first class games for Victoria in cricket. I reckon that's pretty good going. 
That, that's amazing. When you actually sit down and you think about that, that's unbelievable, isn't it, Chuck? Uh, he was very, and he's a great man, Peter Bedford as well. He's, a, I tell you, he's another one. We can actually get him on. He's the most down to earth bloke. Worked on the docks in Port Melbourne. So just write that name down, big fella. When we start to get through the list, he'll be a 1970 Brownlow medalist. Very good character. Um, I mean, I've got a lot of footy cricketers written down. They're the easy ones. But another one, he's not high on my most favourite sportsman's list. But I, I would have thought there's got to be a bit of respect for Anthony Mundine. That's who play I was rugby. thinking of. You had him on there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be, you know, rugby at the highest level, uh, rugby league, and then to go and be an international boxer, I reckon that's a pretty good one. I reckon. Um, I reckon. I, I tell you what. I like. I reckon he was fantastic, Mundine. Like his athleticism uh, on the rugby field. I, I reckon he just probably could have played a few more years of rugby, couldn't he? Because he was just at the peak of his powers when he kind of left the sport, wasn't he? Absolutely, he was. And uh, as I said, he's not one of my favourites, but do you admire what he's done and the level of fitness and the ability to ch- and and for, to go from a ball sport, if like, like we most you know most cricketers and Payne said it and. You know, we go on a bit about ourselves that we all like footy and, and there's not a crossover and the, the list is long. You know, Simon O'Donnell, Robert Harvey, Jamie Siddon, Jeff Parker, uh, Keith Miller, Sam Loxton, Bruce Tooper, Ruzel. I'm just firing a few names at you uh, and I'll, I want to tell you a story in a minute about another football that's pretty good at cricket. Uh, Benny Graham, too long football. Yes. But Mundine went from a yeah. ball sport to boxing. That's what I was saying. Benny Graham. Ash Barty. Yeah, yeah Ash Barty. That's a beauty. There's a beauty. Yeah, Louise Perry, just to throw a couple of ladies' names at you. They've, uh, they've done very well. Brilliant names to throw Aaron, out. Aaron Phillips. Aaron Phillips. Yeah. Yes, Not yeah, bad in the yeah. boxing ring yeah. either. It's good. Um, Rick Charlesworth was another one that played hockey for Australia, coached Australia in hockey, and played state cricket. Was a good state cricketer for WA. Might have even captained WA. Jonty Rowe. Did, did, did I reckon Rose Rick Charlesworth was a assistant coach at the Freo Dockers or something? I reckon maybe at one stage too. Yep, high perf- you're right, he was some high performance uh, performance there. John T. Rhodes, who uh, we all know, is a gun cricketer. You know, John T. Rhodes played hockey for South Africa as well. Oh, fair dinkum. Yep. yep. I reckon one of the, the ones that probably doesn't get talked about enough is Alex Keith, because he did it the hard way. He didn't. Most people go from footy back to cricket, but he's actually gone from cricket to football, which I think is an amazing effort. Yeah, like it. Yep. Yeah, like it, mate. And, and you've got the ones that are kind of, you know, friends like, like Pendlebury and Geordie Lewis who did play state in Australia. And probably the young one coming through is Jay Rantel at the moment that's just been drafted at Collingwood that have played basketball at the high level. Chris Anstey, Dustin Fletcher were gun tennis players when they were younger boys. Could have played uh, tennis for Australia. They are actually doubles partners. Um, you imagine them two big boys getting pretty hard uh, to get around at the net, that is for sure. Uh, there's plenty of them around, isn't there? Absolutely. The one that I wanted to talk about, and uh, I think Ludy knows this story, but you might not, big fella, is Craig Bradley. Now, this is an interesting one because, I've, I mean, I should have got his stats today and I didn't because I was too busy watching uh, com at the Warnable Races. <laughs> and gee, we'll talk about them before we hang up because uh, I started well, but I, geez, I was a bad finish. But Craig Bradley, Craig Bradley, and I don't know if you know this big fella, he played state cricket for South Australia. He played state cricket for Victoria, and he obviously played over 400 games at the highest level. God, that's that's uh, amazing, me, isn't it? Played for two states in cricket, two states, not one, and then also, with the, I think if he had his Port Adelaide games of footy to his Carlton games, he's actually over 500 games at the elite level. 
Um, a quick one if I can. He's in the Victorian squad when I first get in as a young kid and we go up to um, Cobram Baruga, I think it was. or No, it might have been a Chuka. One of those ones up on the Murray River. Uh, and he's playing football on the Saturday. So we're going up there for state trial matches, but we used to go away for the weekend. And we take up 22 cricketers. Victorian trial matches to decide who's going to make the first team. Craig Bradley unavailable on Saturday because he's playing football for Carlton, but we were told he would come up Saturday night to play Sunday because he really wanted to make the state cricket team. So that's okay. We finished on the Saturday and we got into the um, into the RSL club up there or the sports club on the Cobram Baruga there on the river. Um, and it'd be fair to say Big Mervyn Hughes was indulging in the uh, amber uh, fluids and he'd had more than his share. We had a pretty big night, but I was a young bloke and I thought, you know, this is a state trial game. I want to put my best foot forward tomorrow. So I pulled the pin before midnight and back I went. And I got back to the room and then I walked in and we're sharing in those like apartments. There's about five in a room and it was upstairs, downstairs and Craig Bradley sitting in there watching TV. And I had, you know, g'day Craig and nice to meet you Darren Berry. Anyway, 20 minutes later, in rolls Merv, who's also in our apartment. Full of absolute gaff, not a big fan of Carlton Footy Club, uh, being a doggy supporter, and Merv starts on Craig Bradley, starts tearing him a new one. You are weak as piss. You're the biggest outside player I've ever seen. Have you ever got a hard ball? Yeah, mate, he was giving it to him. Now, Craig Bradley was actually getting, he was laughing, getting a little bit upset with Merv. So a bit of a muck around fight starts. Merv used 120 kilos <laughs> with Carlton's hottest property, and they're rolling around. Merv pissed, broadly sober. Can you imagine this scene? Merv obviously gets the better of the battle, big fella. Yeah, because Bradley's only does, little. He's only a little fella. I'll never forget this as long as I live. I can still see it today. You know in those old motels, there's the sofa bed, uh, the couch in the lounge, and it rolls out with that little skinny mattress, uh, <laughs> and you can sleep on that. Yeah. Well, Merv, Merv said to Bradley, there's your bed too, you weak prick. You're sleeping there. So Bradley goes, oh, whatever. He jumps on the bed. Merv then, I'm not joking, rolls him up in the bed with the springs and everything was trying to stuff him back into the sofa bed, pushing Craig Bradley's head underneath the sofa bed, rolled up in the sofa. Uh, it was just like golden moment. Oh, that is unbelievable. <laughs> Poor old little Brads. And he would not, uh, he wasn't, you know, like, he wasn't that kind of bloke. He was just a nice little... Uh, uh, timid footballer. If you not, I shouldn't say timid. That's probably not the right word. But he's no, uh, been he's attacked by Big Merv. Anyone uh, else before we move on, you blokes? Uh, that's it. Nah, that's me out. I reckon that's that's a good story to finish on. No, nah, good. Love it. Absolutely love it. What about Kane Corns uh, during the week coming out and saying that Alex Jezelinko's oh. mark, the greatest mark of all time, where he sat probably uh, twelve feet off the ground on the back of four or five <laughs> opponents, it was sensational. He's calling it overrated. What a nutcase! I think Kane Corns is overrated, Luz. Oh, it's hard to believe. Like. You know that the, the commentary is just as good as the body mark. I reckon the commentary is so good. Every time you hear it, it just the hairs on your neck stand up. You're right. I, I would agree, big fella. It, it's uh, not. It's not. A, it's not overrated. It's not the greatest mark that we've ever seen, but it was a very, very good mark. And grand final commentary 
for him to say it was overrated, I, I don't know what he was on about. So I think he missed the mark there. Yeah, it might not have been the greatest mark we've ever seen, but it was pretty good. Oh, no, it's overrated. So have you guys got any... Forget about Chesilenko's mark. Big fella, you're normally hosting. Have you got something that's overrated, a sporting moment that stands in your head that was overrated? Oh, I the one, the one that comes to mind for me, Stephen Bradbury when he won gold. Uh, you know that that ice skating. You know when they all bowled over and uh, look. And don't get me wrong, fantastic story, all that kind of stuff. But that was that was the flukiest and luckiest uh, gold medal you will ever receive. And, and and I still remember the look on his face. And that changed that bloke's life forever. Uh, that night when they just all remember they all just tumbled down. It was just amazing. Uh, that's the thing I that probably it. stands out for I re- me. I- I reckon the funny thing about that too, Stewie, is too, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the same thing happened in the semi. I'm pretty sure the semi, everyone fell over and he just got through the final due to pure chance. So that's why he did it again, just hung at the back and prayed. Yeah, it's an unbelievable tactic, isn't it, really? Like when, you, when you actually sit back and think about it, that was crazy. What else, boys? What you know? Come on, who's overrated or what's overrated for you two? Uh, I had two that sprung to mind. Uh, I got a 41 to cricket one. The first, the 41 was, Ablett's mark over Gary Pert. Yeah, it goes down as one of the enough. great one of the greats in history. But geez, he, yeah, he had it for one second. If that, um, yeah, I reckon no, that's no, overrated. No, no. And my, my cricket one is Steve Waugh's catch behind the sight screen. It was the easiest high ball on the planet, and he didn't even catch it behind the sight screen. Yeah, yeah, I he know. Run he behind had... the sight screen. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Actually, yeah, he on caught both it him. and then ran behind the sight screen. Yeah, 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 I'm over, with you. Over, Overrated. Can, can I just ask before we get yours, Chuck? Well, you know, we've mentioned a couple of marks. What's the greatest mark for for uh, for you guys? Gee whiz, that's that's a hard call. There's lots, you know, Sean Smith, Gary Moorcroft, Royce Hart. I reckon the disco. Uh, Michael Jer- Roaches is a brilliant. Have you seen the pictures of the yep, disco yeah, roach back in the day? One. Brendan Goddard. Yeah, Goddard's in the grand Jer- final was brilliant. Jeremy Howe played one every second week. Yeah, Moorcroft has said, stood on his head. Uh, yeah. There's been plenty of, you know, unbelievable. I mean, and if you want courage, what about Nick Rewalt's going back at the Sydney Swans when he jackknifed yeah. over the top? I mean, that was yeah. a different type of mark, but courage. Jonathan Brown, the same. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought his name up, big fella, because I think you should probably chase Jonathan Brown for this podcast, given he's a local boy. I'll leave that with you. Yeah, I agree, cool. Stephen Bradbury. Overrated. Uh, not, not that he won the gold medal. We we admire that. You don't take it off him. But as you said, his life changed. He went on the speaking circuit. He became a legend of Australia <laughs> for, for winning the medal when everyone fell over. So I, I had that written down as well. The other one, now this might draw a little bit of uh, ire from you two. And again, the importance of it was good, but I think this has been blown way out of proportion. For me, is the Leo Barry mark in the grand final. No, I was there that day. That was as good as you'll see in the context of that game, Chuck. That was uh, that was like edgier seat stuff, and a back Overrated. back 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 into that pack at that time. I reckon that is one of the great grand final moments. I can't agree with you on that one. I'm sorry, buddy. Overrated. I'm with right. you, Chewy, and I reckon the, the commentary to go with it too. Again, like the Jeslinko one, Leo Barry, you star, brilliant. Yep. Yeah, Stephen Quartermain's made millions out of that, so well done. So I, I knew you wouldn't agree. That's why I normally throw things up that you don't agree with. Nothing to do with sport, big fella, but tell you what I want to say, the most overrated thing in life is spending too much money on what people say is a good wine. What is the oh. maximum you would spend on a bottle of wine? Now, I don't mind my reds, uh, but I want to know the answer, Ludes, and, and big fella. 
what's the maximum you would spend on a bottle of wine? Okay, I go fifteen bucks. Yeah. My goal in life is to find the best fifteen dollar bottle of red on the market. Do you know this cracks me up because I had pubs, obviously boys, for a while, and uh, we used to have a uh, our, our house wine, so it was our glass wine, five bucks a glass. We used to land the bottles for. Uh, you know, about eight bucks to be honest, and uh, even cheaper at uh, sometimes. Like your champagne might have been kind of four bucks and all that. And it was don't get me wrong, it was there was nothing wrong with it. But then you travel overseas, and uh, that same bottle of wine, uh, you're paying seventy five, eighty dollars. Well, it used to crack me up. I used to say I used to land these for four or five bucks. Ridiculous. Uh, I think it's there's some the wine bloke, connoisseurs, Jimmy. Well, the there's some bloke. There's a bloke on the internet at the moment, actually. I was talking to a person the other day about this, and he, because uh, I don't get the wine thing, to be honest. Uh, you know, like it's it's whatever. It's a bit wanky. But uh, they they tell me that the more you aerate the wine, the better. Uh, so this person's been, uh, you know, getting uh, cheap wines. He's been, uh, you know, aerating the wines wines in different way. You know, putting, uh, you know, mechanical devices in them, drills, all that kind of stuff. Putting them in the blender, um, and then doing the taste test. And people don't even realise that it's a cheap wine that they're drinking. So I reckon it's all a bit of a wank, Chuck. Yeah, no, well, that's why I brought it up. And it's got to be said, if there's any wine connoisseurs listening, we'll be upsetting them because the three of us don't really (laughs) understand it that much. But that's why I've brought the topic up. Uh, And again, we can say name dropping. That's what we do on this show. I I like wine and I would say the maximum for me, Max, you said 15, you're tight-ass Ludeman. Maximum for me, if I'm taking my wife out for an anniversary dinner, and we used to always like um, a Cloudy Bay, uh, Tococo, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, and they were about 70 sheets, and that was sort of pushing my limits, and I thought 70 bucks for... The maximum I would pay for a bottle of wine is $100. Anything over 100 for me, no thank you. Now, Mm. in 1997, uh, yep, I got that call up. I got married in 1997, and the blonde leg spinner was very kind. Now, he at then, he wasn't a wine drinker at all. But he'd been given a dozen bottles of 97 Grange, right? Now, it's supposed to be the top of the tree. Yeah. And I'm sure it is. Well, he gave me the 97. When I got called up, he gave me a bottle to say, your wedding, you got married in 97, you got called up to the ashes. It's a good year. Put this away and at a special time, drink it. Now, you know, I've had plenty of $20 bottles, and there's a couple in Adelaide, Ludie and I had $30, $35, beautiful wines over there at the Barossa. Well, when Ludie and his mates got me the sack from the Sarka um, over there, <laughs> I looked at the wife and I said, you know what, that 97 Grange has been sitting in our cupboard since 1997. It's about time we drunk it. So when I got the sack, that's when I chose to, ju- to, to drink the bottle that Warnie <laughs> given me of Grange. I cracked her open in Adelaide, and I did all the bullshit. I let it breathe, you know. I put it in a decanter. <laughs> yeah, let yeah. The, uh, let the molecules separate and whatever shit they talk about. And uh, Kath and I drank the bottle that night of the Penfolds Grange. Now, don't get me wrong. It was nice, but you know what? $900 a bottle, give me a break. There's no way in the world I would even dream ever of going back and buying that sort of money on a wine. 
Yeah, you wouldn't know the difference, would you? You know, like, I, I just, I'm not a massive fan. And you know what? When you get those bottles of Grange, Chuck and Luda, you might uh, know this as well, but, uh, you know, they got the old cork in them. A lot of times the old cork will break uh, as you're trying to get the cork out, and then you've got to go and drain it out and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not my kind of ke- you know, kettle of fish. No. I, I just, uh, honestly, I'm a nice uh, little beer man. Just get me a little VB or a Carlton Dry or a... Corona, correct. And, uh, that'll just tide me over. Now on that, Stewie, we, we promised tonight we would not go over an hour. We've had a bit of yes. feedback. We've got a lot of people saying they're loving our podcast, so thank you to our listeners. But we said we're not going to go over an hour. Well, we've got five minutes to go, so you've got a couple of minutes to wrap up the races at Warnable today, and then Tim Luderman can take us out with an impersonation. The first day of the carnival, it was different. You did a great job down at trackside. I watched it all day. I had ten dollars each way on every race. I started well and I finished poorly. I'm going to be on again tomorrow watching you guys in action. But it was it was different, but it still looked fantastic. And the weather, I mean, seriously, how good was it? How good was the ball? Yeah, no, I've never seen weather like it. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, hardly a breath of wind. It was perfect conditions. Tomorrow's going to be even better. Uh, you know, pretty uh, pretty unbelievable when you think about it because the ball, the rain's always usually coming in sideways and uh, the hail and all that kind of stuff. But look, it was a great day. Uh, really focused on uh, the, the actual jumping. Uh, it was a jumping only day uh, and uh, it was a credit to all involved. It had no atmosphere, make no mistake about it. It was pretty tough to be there and uh, yeah, you yep. want the owners and all that because that's the big thing, you know. Winning a race at the carnival is such a big thing for so many people, especially a jumps race and it just lacked that, you know. Even talking to some of the trainers afterwards and, you know, when we weren't on air and that, they just said, look, you feel like you're at the trials and, um, you know, unfortunately that's just the world we're living in at the moment but uh, all in all, it was a bloody successful day today and some really competitive races, that's for sure. When you interviewed Nick Smart after he won, was that getting leggy that he stuffed me up for the quaddy? I think it was a $15 winner, a $1,000 horse, is that right? He was yeah. very emotional. Mate. He is an absolute ripper, Smarty, and uh, that means so much to him. It's uh, just a great story, uh, and he was so pumped, and um, you know they had to kind of beep out a few little words and all that kind of stuff because he was just blown away, and he reminded me of Freddie Mercury, the way he was just kind of making love to the microphone and the stand that we had there on uh, Racing.com because he just wanted to hug someone. He was so pumped, and he wanted to share the emotion. It was just awesome. Stewie, I know you've done a lot of radio over the journey, but did someone forget to tell you about the memo? When you go on TV, you meant to put a rinse through your hair instead of having salt and pepper flying around everywhere? Mate, I uh, saw Jamie Drury on uh, one of the shows during the week, and uh, he's got the salt and pepper coming uh, along nicely. And I just kind of looked and I thought, yeah, nah, you got a fair few lengths on me, Jamie. <laughs> you got me covered, big fella, uh, the old male stripper. Hey, uh, but all in all, going to be a great day tomorrow. Now, for the people that get in early to this podcast, I'm going to give you a couple tomorrow. Uh, Two Coast to the Sun from Lindsay Smith. It'll win the cup. It's about three bucks. So if you're uh, if you get in, listen to this tomorrow down. morning, okay? Too close to the sun will be very hard to beat. Uh, Simon Wilde's got a first starter in race number one that goes all right too. Tried up well. Hard to kind of line them up, but uh, all in all, I reckon it'll be hard to beat in race number one. So there's, for the ones that get in early, hopefully we might get a bit of success for them, boys. Good work. What was the name of the one in race one? Uh, I don't can't remember off the top of my head, mate. I'm sorry. Okay. But uh, so, so Simon Wilde first started. Dean Yendel on board, which is always a great sign. Now, Ludi, what do you got for us, big fella, this week in the way of impersonations? 
I've been picking my brains. I've sort of been working on a little one called Mrs. Doubtfire, actually. Mrs. <laughs> oh, yes. Doubtfire. Oh, brilliant. This is great. I can't wait for this, mate. Away you go. Hello. I'm Mrs. Doubtfire, and today we're going to be listening to Chuck Ludy and the Big Fella with Keeping It Real. Isn't that lovely, dearie? <laughs> well done. Well done. That was sensational. One of your better ones, mate. Is this a new one to the uh, to the repertoire? Just added it. Thanks, Jerry. I've been working on one. That's probably been two years in the making, so I'm going to run out eventually. <laughs> That's all right, mate. We're just going to keep throwing them at him, won't we, Saka? It's a bit like our guest. So Ludi has to come up each week with an impersonation. So now we're... This is podcast seven, so he's done seven. I reckon he's starting to run thin, and a bit like my hair, running thin. We're running out of big guests, um, but i tell you what, Tim Payne was sensational tonight, and just so down to earth, yeah, and it shows brilliant. you again, he's captain of the Australian cricket team, but he's just a knock-around bloke, and I asked him that question, boys, I honestly reckon he's sitting down there in the bar, pinching himself, thinking, you know what, and you know this, Ludy, two years ago, he was within a whisker of retiring from cricket, and he actually accepted a job at Kookaburra in Victoria. He was going to come and work for the bat manufacturer, and he was done and dusted. And then all of a sudden, he's turned Australian cricket around from being in shame to winning the Ashes, and I reckon he's done an outstanding job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, great story. 100%. Great Good things happen to good people, they say. Yeah, absolutely, boys. Hey, listen, we are smack bang out of time. All thanks to the Nissan Warrior, Clinton Bolsh, and the team. And if you like what you've heard, uh, subscribe, like, and share our podcast, Keeping It Real. Chuck Ludy and the Big Fella. The pressure's on me next week, boys, to come up with an A-lister. And I've got a couple. I'm not going to let too much out of the bag, but uh, I have got a couple of names that I'm kind of floating around. I'm trying to get some contact numbers. So uh, I might blow you out of the water next week, you two. Well done, Big Fella. Thanks, Ludy. Great job getting Tim Payne and Maddie Stewart tomorrow. Racing.com, day two at the Warnable Races. No crowd, but if you want to tune in at home to Racing.com and you will see the big fella leading the way. No, you're not going to see me tomorrow, Chuck. It's uh, Nicky Ashman, mate. I was the jump specialist, big fella. So I'm... Uh, oh, you've been flicked, have you? I've been given the bump on the flat day, mate. The cup day, big fella. She's uh, there's the door and don't shut it the way through, big boy. It's as no, it's good. I, I didn't expect the, to get. It's not the first time that you've had a big build up and then failed to deliver, Stewie. I must say. I honestly uh, did not expect to get the gig. To be honest, uh, this year because they got some wonderful staff down there, but uh, I was just wrapped to be involved today. That is for sure. And we spoke about Nick Smart taking out uh, the Scotty Stewart Briley Steeple, of course, uh, named yes. after my late brother. He was a superstar. Yep. He uh, was a radio bloke himself back in the hay day and uh, well Nick Smart I said before he was like Freddie Mercury at Queen at Wembley and I thought we might go out with a little bit of Queen tonight and this one's for you Smarty well done today big fella